There we go. Our, no, we can't leave Bill Cosby while I introduce anybody. That's against the law now. All right. Uh, he's written for the for the blog Legal Geeks, uh, which I think we referenced in an earlier dinner night. Uh, he's also now our new legal uh, Star Wars resident counsel. So, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Mr. Thomas Harper. Cosby still up because that would be like really unfortunate <laughs> tragic. I was up during this entire show. So I talked to Glenn earlier tonight and I said, uh, oh, there you go, sneak preview. I asked him, you know, what's the order going to be tonight? He said, you're second. And since we're on the theme of baseball, I immediately thought, like, dread filled my body. And I thought, I'm going to be like the relief pitcher with like a 14 ERA. It comes in and gives up two grand slams to everybody, and, and like the whole crowd is left. So I will say uh, the exits are clearly marked, so feel free to stream out them. But tonight we're going to talk uh, about some fun stuff, fun to me. I don't know. Uh, we've got a little bit of, uh, like my dad with the remote at home. Okay, there we go. Star Wars, right? Yay! Star Trek fans in Okay, and then we're also going to talk. He's like, I'm sitting in the back, and he's like, point it at the at the back, and I'm doing that, and nothing works. I feel your pain, man. There we go. And the law, yeah. <laughs> and then, <laughs> well, if this will ever work. Uh, you're with a lawyer. Can you manually control it from back there? There we go. Look at that. On the 17th time. So my name's Tom. I'm going to be your scruffy nerf herder uh, guide today. Um, I write for the blog The Legal Geeks. Um, my wife and I actually just got out of the Army uh, from active duty. This is a little shot from my all-expense-paid vacation uh, to Southwest Asia. Uh, it was so wonderful. And my wife is in the audience with us. And you can either turn to see her or wait a thousand minutes to see her on there. Um, so I practice locally for uh, a firm, Cohen and Feely, uh, but I write and do this stuff for the legal geeks on the side. Um, you know, it's a way to, to uh, get this out so that I don't like bore my wife to death. <laughs> so I know what you guys are thinking, right? Star Wars, cool, the law, uh, not so cool. Uh, any lawyers out there that this counts as zero hours of CLE credit, so. Um, but I have a very good feeling about how this is gonna go. and. As this clicker is having problems, I realize like all of the slide builds that I have are gonna like work really poorly with this. I'm wishing I had like one click at a time. So when we talk about Star Wars and the law, we're, like what I'm really talking about are issues. Like as you're watching the movie, uh, you slice a little bit deeper because I know if you're like me, you watch Star Wars and the first thing that you think is like, is this legal? Right? That's what everybody's sitting there thinking. Like. Luke and Leia are born and like given up and you're like, what are the adoption rights of those kids? That's, that's how the audience thinks. So the first thing we're going to look at is, was the Death Star a war crime, right? So this seems like a like a pretty simple question, right? But let's let's break it down. And before we do that, we're going to do a little refresher in case you forgot uh, what happened with the Death Star and A New Hope. Um, I want you to pay attention to this scene and, and sort of what's said here. The more you tighten your grip, Tuck. More star systems will slip through your fingers. Not after we demonstrate the power of this station. In a way, you have determined the choice of the planet 
that be destroyed first. Since you are reluctant to provide us with the location of the rebel base, I have chosen to test this station's destructive power on your home planet of Aldenham. Oh, no. Alderman is peaceful. We have no weapons. You can't You want to another target, a military target? Then name the system. I grew tired of asking this, so it'll be the last time. Where is the rebel base? Dantooine. You're on Dantooine. Well, you see, Lord Vader, she can be reasonable. Continue with the operation. You may fire when ready. What? What a dick. <laughs> I will confess. So I was watching this and I intended to take five minutes and cut that clip out and then throw it into the slide presentation and just keep going with the prep. And then I got sucked in and ended up watching like 45 more minutes. So I know you guys are all like, ugh. Just keep the movie going. Don't keep talking. So that seems pretty critical because it sets up the sad, sad destruction of Leia's home planet, Alderaan, right? So this, this beautiful, idyllic place. Before, you know, it's so easy to jump and say, like, Tarkin Empire, you did a real bad thing by blowing up that planet. You killed all those people, right? But quite honestly, if we take a look at it using kind of real-world rules, um, it, it's maybe not so simple. But let's, let's start with this planet that kind of looks like Earth, maybe photoshopped a little bit. They slid Asia and, like, North America together and just added a few more clouds. What do we know about Alderaan? So it's a pretty planet. Uh, ignore, you know, maybe the, that it's a, uh, a CGI planet, whatever. It's, it's very idyllic. What else do we know about Alderaan? They don't have any weapons. You heard Leia uh, talk about that as she pled to Tarkin. So this is, you know, a planet that's getting an F rating by the NRA. Uh, it's a peaceful planet, and it's full of hippies, right? Galactic hippies that they, they don't fight. They're, they're peace-loving folks. Uh, they don't take up arms against anyone. That's Alderaan's moniker. Now, on the flip side, what do we know about the Death Star? It's not a moon, so that's a good starting point. It's basically a big gun in space, a gun that's entirely designed to just destroy planets. In fact, at the beginning of A New Hope, if you remember that scene in the Death Star conference room, which it's awesome that the Death Star was built with a conference room, it's like, imagine, like... <laughs> neatly dressed imperial lawyers like shuffling in there like what's the day's agenda today um, but they talk about the fact that this whole battle station uh, is built to spread fear right to control the galaxy through fear because rather than have this military that's spread out all over the place instead you get a big gun in space that can blow up your planet and people start to fall in line pretty quickly and what else do we know about the Death Star it's the brainchild of uh, this jackass here, uh, Admiral Tarkin, right? So, you know, and again, give him, give him a little credit, right? For all the things that he did bad, there's no more unemployment on that planet. <laughs> so I, I know what you're thinking, right? You know, hey, this is obviously a bad thing. You can't just go destroy a whole bunch of people. And while you might be right, that's, it, that's no fun, right? That cuts out the, the whole presentation. So... Where do we start when we think about whether and how this, this act was, was bad or not? Well, the real world rules, and you may be surprised that war has rules, right? Um, they come from a number of different places because we can't have things simple and nice and have just one book that contains everything. War has happened again and again, obviously, and every time we do it, 
countries get together afterwards and they're like, ah, well, we kind of messed up there in a few ways. So let's come up with some rules and maybe we'll clean this up. So for example, after World War I ends, we're like, you know what? That whole use of chemical weapons thing, not so good. I, I think Russia and Syria were absent for that meeting. Um, but that's sort of how things go. After World War II, in, as you know, Japan and Western Europe are, are left in ruins, the civilian toll that happened during that war was, was pretty awful. And so the world got together, and that's where you have the Geneva Conventions. And throughout all of these rules, you know, collectively these things are known as, as uh, international customary law or international humanitarian law. There's a thread that connects all of this stuff, and it's the protection of civilians. Because you know the ideal is that while everybody is okay with shooting each other, if you've got a uniform on or if you're a bad guy, depending on who you're looking at from a certain point of view, uh, we're not so okay with innocent people getting killed. And so these rules, whether it's the Hague Conventions, Geneva Conventions, the Law of Land Warfare, they generally extend protections to, uh, to civilians. And so as, a, as an inside tip in the business, uh, in the JAG Corps, we call these the sacred texts. So, Luke was right there with us. But keep that in mind as, as we talk about this stuff. So what's Tarkin's argument then? Where does he go? If there are all these rules protecting civilians and, and wagging the finger at him, does he have anywhere, any sort of argument to make? If he hadn't gotten vaporized at the end of A New Hope, you know, where does he go with it? Well, surprisingly, he does have somewhat of an argument. I'm not saying it's right, but he does have somewhat of an argument. So. If Tarkin were standing up here today talking very loudly as he did in that video, he'd first point out to you that he knows two folks that are intimately connected with Alderaan. The bottom one, Princess Leia, where's the last place that she was seen before she's captured and brought aboard the Death Star? Anybody who's seen Rogue One saw her sort of daring escape uh, out of this battle. So if you haven't seen the movie, um, you know, A New Hope famously starts with her ship being captured and she's got the Death Star plans and it, it says, hey, the, the Rebel Alliance made a daring attack on an Imperial base. Well, you see that attack in Rogue One and amazingly, she's there and Darth Vader watches as her ship uh, escapes with the plans on board. So Tarkin has got her dead cold as a Rebel. The man right above her is Bail Organa. That's her adoptive father. So, you know, in the height of I guess coincidence, Darth Vader is standing there as her planet is or ordered destroyed, being her dad and not stepping in. Another dick. Um, <laughs> but Bale is, is sort of the leader of the, the Rebel Alliance, right? He's, he's one of the founding members. So you've got two of the highest members of the Rebel Alliance from Alderaan. Bale Organa is actually on the planet when this is happening. And you've got a Rebel cell there, arguably like the command and control function of the rebellion, as far as the Empire knows, is sitting right there on Alderaan. So Tarkin's going to tell you, no, I've got a rebel cell right there on that planet. And in the law of war, generally civilians are protected. But if you start to cross the line and act like a dick and take up arms, you lose that protection. So Tarkin is going to say, not only uh, these two right here, they may act nice, they may act like senators or whatever, but really they're, the, they're both dirty rebels, as are their friends on Alderaan. So that makes the entire planet worthy of attack. So does that argument hold up? No, that didn't build either. Well, not quite. Unfortunately for Tarkin, uh, it doesn't really matter because he gets atomized at the end of it. Um, that's 
sadly a wanted poster on the back. But why doesn't it hold up, right? It, it's not as simple as you killed some civilians and therefore it's illegal, right? Because you know you can have you got situations right now where civilians are, uh, you know, in insurgencies are, you know, actively using that sort of status as a shield, right? They they come out, they fight, they go home, they blend back into the civilian population. Um, but generally, the rules don't allow you to just mercilessly bombard a civilian population. That wouldn't, you know, the whole thing in, in World War II at the end of it was that these population centers were targeted really indiscriminately. The idea then was to, to you know, bring the military to its knees, bring, bring the entire population down uh, so that the war would end quick, more quickly. Uh, but that's been put away. And, and the weapon itself, you, you know, I, I'm not gonna get into the weeds of, of weapons law here, but you can't have you can't employ weapons that are indiscriminate in nature. Ironically, nuclear weapons have their own little body of law. We've like carved out like this neat little exception. Like, don't worry about those guys over there. But you can't have indiscriminate weapons. And so, what the Death Star is like the walking, talking example of an indiscriminate weapon. And in fact, when I used to teach young soldiers the law of war, I teach it through Star Wars because it's a very easy example. Unfortunate for Tarkin. And like I said, it really doesn't matter because he gets blown up, as you've seen, like 15 times here, which is one of the most amazing scenes in any of the movies. But ultimately, that's why it's illegal. So if you watch it now, now you know why uh, it's, it's such a bad act. So if this had happened, uh, I think he might have been justified. So if, if Alderaan had fired first here, um, and that's a good segue for my next point. So Han Solo, right? How many Han Solo fans do we have out there? Yeah. Five people should be everyone. <laughs> so famously, and I, you know, I will be an ardent def defender of lots of stuff that George Lucas has done. Changing A New Hope so that Han Solo shoots second is not something that I will ever defend. So we'll, we're all gonna operate under the assumption that Han shot first in the, the famous bar scene and as a refresher, let's let's take that. Yes, Greedo. As a matter of fact, I was just going to see your boss. Tell Jabba that I've got his money. So, Yeah, but this time I've got the money. I don't have it with me. Tell Java. <laughs> Even I get bored at some times. Do you think I had a choice? For my dead body. Yes, I bet you have. Weirdly, you can, I guess, draw a lot of things from that movie. When I first saw that, and ever since then, as a little kid, I'm like, what, did that, what was that little Jawa saying at the end? Now I think like he's probably like, what the hell was that? <laughs> um, so, great scene, right? One of the most classic scenes. So sad Greedo, right? He's crispified. And in 
I, I didn't include it here, but like one of my single favorite scenes, Han just gets up from there. He, Greedo is still smoking on the table, and he pulls out like a quarter and just like coolly flips it to the bartender. And like, if once in my life I can ever do something like that cool, you know, minus the murder part, uh, I'll achieve something. Um, I, you know, sets aside the fact that. Harrison Ford was like born at age 36. But, um, in any event, so let's take a, a, a look at this scene. So Han obviously kills Greedo there, and, and we're trying to figure out, like, is he going to be prosecuted for murder, right? He shot this guy dead, well, this Rodian dead cold in a bar. That's, that's bad, right? And so what's our general rule? And this is something that's very important and requires a law degree. Don't kill people. <laughs> this is why you know, my mother-in-law and father-in-law are sitting in the audience. This is why like, you'd be so proud to, to go to law school. This is the kind of stuff they teach you. Don't kill people. It's a good general rule. So even if, if, even if you don't like somebody, if somebody's mean to you, right, there's a general rule that like, murder is a bad thing. But are there situations where using force against somebody else is, is ever justifiable? Well, the answer is yes. Let's take a look at Pennsylvania law, which, if you dig down into the Pennsylvania Criminal Code, there is a bit of small text that it's also applicable on Moss Eisley, in, on Tatooine in the Star Wars universe. So uh, I'm not stretching anything here. And there's actually a criminal, a portion of the criminal statute, branching off the, uh, the murder statute, that uh, some uses of force are justifiable. So you can use force in certain situations but it's pretty narrow. You gotta believe that using that force is, is immediately necessary to protect yourself against the unlawful use of force by another. So the distinction there is if a police officer is trying to lawfully arrest you and is using force to do so, you, you can't use force against the police officer, right? That, that makes sense. But if somebody's trying to rob you in your house, uh, probably is justifiable. So for Han, it's all good, right? That's that's the end of the show. We're, we're done, right? No, not so fast. I have like a stuffed job of the hut that laughs like that, and I've worn out his batteries because it's so fun. I'll be on the phone with my parents, and I'll click that, and my mom's like, are you playing with that job of the hut thing? So it's not so easy for Han because you can't just use force in any situation. And what kind of force does he use there? He's not slapping Greedo, he's not calling him something mean or shoving him, he puts a blaster bolt dead in his chest and kills him. So that's deadly force and the law takes a, a, an especially hard look at that because we don't want everywhere to be, you know, we don't want your average Walmart on MacArthur Avenue to be, uh, you know, the cantina or the OK Corral, right? So the law really carves out narrow exceptions for when you can use deadly force. For Han, it's a problem in the state of Pennsylvania because the law requires you to retreat. If you're able to, before using deadly force, you have to retreat. So that's, that's not good news for Han, right? He's got this big cantina there. He could retreat, right? Maybe. There are a couple situations where you don't have to actually retreat. So the first would be when you're in your own house. And so let's think about where does Han live? Han doesn't have a, a nice... Uh, you know, walk-up apartment or a duplex or anything like that. He's like the galactic hobo of the Star Wars universe, living with his dog in his car, the, the hot rod, the Millennium Falcon, right? So they're not sitting on the Millennium Falcon around the Tajeric table as he shoots Greedo. 
they're sitting in, the, in a bar. So he can't make use of this exception, right? He doesn't get to, to not retreat because he's not in his, his home, so to speak. And generally, we call that the castle doctrine, if you've ever heard of that. So the idea is, if you're in your own home and somebody attacks you there, uh, deadly force or not, you don't have to retreat out of there. Um, the law carves that for you. In Pennsylvania, interestingly, you also don't have to retreat from your place of work. So let's think about where Han's doing business. You know, is Han, does he have a, a, you know, a little store like this on MacArthur Avenue next to that Walmart where I guess everybody is shooting blaster bolts at each other? No, where does he work? He works in bars just like the cantina. In fact, right before Greedo confronts him, if I were to have rewound that scene, what is he doing? He's chartering a flight for uh, you know, a punk ass farm kid, a grungy old man and their two dirty droids, right? So he's transacting business right there. So for Han, if you think about it, if he's doing business wherever he is, whatever dive, cantina, bar, etc., he can use deadly force wherever he goes. And that comes in very handy for a guy like Han because somebody who's constantly dumping shipments or, or getting bounties placed on him by uh, you know, fat, disgusting space slugs he needs to be able to use force where he can because he's, you know, he's constantly, you see in that scene, he's got a price on his head, right? And in fact, if, if you play that scene out, Jabba is waiting for him at his ship and he, he kind of talks his way out of that one. So for Han, here he's not gonna have to retreat because if I'm de his defense counsel, I'd be like, your honor, he's conducting business. He just chartered a flight here. Greedo sat there with a blaster trained on him. What's my client supposed to do? He has to defend himself. And in that situation, I think it's pretty clear that, that he's been threatened with deadly force, right? Greedo not only has a blaster aimed right at his chest, but he's also threatening him there. So at the end, Greedo's like, you give me the money, we'll make this all go away. And Han's like, nah, I don't have the money, right? Because uh, he's a broke, degenerate gambler. <laughs> then Greedo says, well, Jabba's going to take your ship. Now that's his house, so Han says, over my dead body, and then you get the implication that Greedo's about to shoot him, uh, and so he blasts him. So, you know, all in all, if, if Han's my client, um, I think he's got a good case. If he walked into my office as a defense counsel, uh, I, I would take his case and, and argue it. And so, uh, at least under Pennsylvania law, Han's going to be okay for, for blasting Greedo. I don't know if the bar has uh, you know, legal action against him for leaving a mess. I'm not sure exactly how many credits he flipped over uh, for the cleanup, but you know, he may have to pay for that, but that's, he's got to hire a different attorney for that one. So you can find me on Twitter there. Um, I also encourage you to check out the Legal Geeks. I got linked up with this site after a friend saw them uh, at a, uh, a convention out on the West Coast. And it's been a lot of fun. They they break down pop culture, like legal issues in pop culture, everything from like the new Krypton show on uh, what is that, the WB or I don't even think that network exists anymore. <laughs> um, I do all Star Wars stuff, so I've like very well pigeonholed myself. But in any event, we do this sort of thing all the time uh, in a periodic show. So, Glenn, you want to do Q and A? Yeah, absolutely. All right, one more time for Tom Carpenter. We learned a lot about uh, when it is an okay to shoot people in bars. <laughs> Take a little something home with us. Somebody's going to go into Walmart and be like, oh, I don't know. Tom said it was fine. I think that's what I took away from the third night. I can go downstairs. I can go to the bar downstairs and just 
shoot. <laughs> I didn't put my phone number. I'm going to get like a tweet, like a DM from jail and be like, yeah. <laughs> Please help me. You told me. Are you licensed in New Jersey? <laughs> I need to know where I can limit my crimes. Uh, we'll say as far east as Easton and then you're, you're on your own. All right, so do we have legal questions about specifically what you're talking about? We'll start with those. Uh, the Death Star or Credo. Given the argument that he was working there and everything, I don't honestly remember the scene clearly enough to say whether or not, but was he drinking? And what factor does that play into the entire case? He never drinks. He's like totally sober when he lines up his rides. Um, he may have been on some death sticks, I don't know. <laughs> That's a really good question, because now I'm trying to remember too. I know uh, they get blue, uh, Obi-Wan and Luke Chewie's get... getting loaded at the bar, Yeah, you know, but he just has to fire up the Falcon. No, it's a, it's a really good yeah, question. He's just driving, so he can... He's, he's like, <laughs> like stumbling out to the Falcon, like, don't worry, I see three of them, but I know one's the real one. So, I, I think what it would do, you know, you... Um, we're talking about, like, voluntary intoxication there, right? Voluntary intoxication generally isn't a, uh, isn't a defense to stuff. So, if I'm the prosecutor flipping hats now, um, you know, I would try to make the argument, I'd be like, look, you... This guy's a drug user. He's using death sticks at the bar. He's down in these like blue milk cocktails. Uh, you know, him, him telling you that he believed he was in immediate danger. Don't believe that at all. That's a load of hogwash. And he can't tell you that you know the alcohol, uh, that Jawa juice was was influencing influencing his perception or opinion because that's not a defense. So that's a really good question because if Han was drunk and then tried to say like, you know, he. His testimony was the only testimony that, you know, maybe proved the threat. He, he might be in some trouble there. Do you think that's why droids aren't allowed in that bar? Because they can record stuff? It, Did I just crack this thing wide open? <laughs> right? Because R2 could just play the scene back for George Lucas is for like shows up on the scene. He, George Lucas is like laying somewhere in California right now, just like bolted up right there. <laughs> You know, like on his bed of like the four billion dollars that he sold Star Wars yeah. for, like who just talked about that? It's not a very expensive bed to be clear. It is a bed. It's just a big pile of money no, it, it, that he so, sleeps on like smog. Interestingly, I, and this is like I'm like exposing as if like doing a Star Wars and the law presentation weren't nerdy enough. Like let's expose my my true level of nerddom. Uh, there's actually a book where it kind of gives the bartender's backstory, right? So he doesn't own the bar, but he has PTSD because his parents were killed by two droids back in the Clone Wars. And see, so there's this like, like graphic. <laughs> so it's just racism, it's just I, that's why. Oh yeah, like the audio book is the best because they've got this, you know, whoever's reading his part is like doing the voice and he's like, back there on our gag station. He's like, you could clearly just picture him like huddled, you know, with a beer and he's like, you know, having a, a, a relapse there. But yeah, droids killed his parents, so he has PTSD. And that's why he keeps droids out of the bar. Also, they don't tend to buy drinks. Uh, so you, know, you can't have wastes of space there. Um, and actually, funny enough that you mentioned that, if you go to our website, we did a, uh, like, not a month ago out at WonderCon in California, we did a mock trial where C-3PO and R2-D2 sued the cantina for unlawful discrimination over that. I defended the cantina, so that's why I had the Imperial pin on and we really leaned into it. I think we won. Uh, 
Yes. Say after hearing this presentation, I totally believe that people have sex in mascots. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we convinced you that. That's the real goal yeah, of this show. This deep. <laughs> yeah, that's the real goal of Nerd Night. We just I'm like want wondering it. what what slide in my presentation. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, once you saw the green of the Ewok. Yeah. Why does the episode like Peter CSI with the furry piles oh, in the yeah. you know the CSI oh. in Vegas with the furry piles oh. and they had some yeah. kind of show and that just disturbed me. So you guys are very close to ruining Chewbacca. For <laughs> I, won't eat, I won't get into Ewoks. Mm. Uh, I, 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 since you mentioned uh, Ewoks, the t- those TV movies are basically the dandy of the Star Wars universe. They're like, we're never going to tell anybody these exist. I don't care how much the total Glenn Tickle loves them. Make them very hard for him to find a copy on VHS. They've got a furnace in the bottom of Lucasfilm where they're just like shoveling in the last of those TV movies. Look, there were, there were two Ewok TV movies, and they're great. They were. Yeah, they're better uh, than... Every Star Wars except for Jedi and Empire. What? There are seven. Oh, I'm sorry, I just killed your husband. <laughs> is the Caravan of Courage on Blu-ray one of the I would never give away my copy of the Caravan of Courage. <laughs> or the Battle for Endor. Look, they're great. The cartoon is garbage. I'll give you the cartoon. The Ewoks cartoon is very bad. Uh, any questions about the Death Star? No, we all remember like shooting nobody Greedo. Wants to defend Tarkin. <laughs> yeah, really. what? Well, I remember a couple years ago that that I remember seeing that argument pop up. They're like, oh, you know, like it was a military action. They're not the Empire's not automatically evil just because they blow up planets. Uh, and I remember the first time I heard that, and just immediately going like, no, yeah, they are. They're a budding, like it's a budding war criminal. <laughs> yeah, like they're pretty clearly in the wrong by blowing up an entire planet. Back there. Sorry, it's uh. So, is space considered international, like, waters? And if so, Ooh, would great building question. a military base in international waters be considered against a lot of laws? So, I, I would agree with you. So, the question was, is, uh, is space, like, in Star Wars, um, are those considered international waters? And then would building the Death Star in that space, or, you know, operating it for that matter, um, would that violate any kind of rules? I absolutely think it's international waters, and in fact, no one's going to want to talk to me after this. Whoa, this guy's like way into Star Wars. But there's some material out there where, like, you know, the the background is that, yeah, as far as the any whatever government is concerned, you know, these it's it's free space, right? So the Empire doesn't really control like hyperspace lanes and stuff like that. Um, I wrote a post a while back about like using that kind of logic. And, and analyzing Vader's boarding, like how he captured Leia's ship and, and boarded it, whether that would be legal. Interestingly, building the Death Star, so it was built above Geonosis, right? This the planet you see in, in the best movie of the entire series, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> so it's Hayden Christensen's birthday, by the way. So uh, <laughs> he's right about Sam. That movie takes a lot of flag, but he, Anakin's speech, but he's correct. It's the worst. They get him every time I go to the beach. So yeah, but I, I, so I, I don't think that it would be unlawful for them to build it, and certainly you've got the, you know, countries generally enjoy the right um, of freedom of navigation is what it's called, so them, just because the Death Star is this like awful, awful machine, they can still navigate it wherever they please. Um, when they get into like orbiting around you know, other sovereign planets, maybe that's a different question, but typically those planets are 
gone pretty quickly, so I don't think they had the time to lodge a complaint. Uh, there is an actual international agreement uh, similar to how uh, no country owns Antarctica uh, for space, so I know there are uh, established legal issues around the idea of building actual weapons in, in actual space. Not far, not far, far away. We're close to building like the space core, so. They keep talking about it, right? Star Wars was a was a proposed program where we're going to put lasers in space. Right? No, no, I get the wrong branch. To shoot things down. Um, yeah, there's also, uh, there, space law is a, is a category. Uh, there was a great post by hopefully future Nerd Night speaker, Victoria now, uh, McDowley for the site uh, I was writing with her at the time called Geeko System that's not around anymore. Uh, but she interviewed a space lawyer about more, like basically all of her questions were like, yeah, but really, is that a challenge? How? How do you become space lawyer? It's like sounds like a, cooler than what I do. Yeah, and the, <laughs> the lawyer was like, it's very boring. It's very just because you're not going to court to defend space. Like it's just a lot of yeah, like, we're the rocket to the ISS. <laughs> yeah, like, I gotta go, gotta get up there and examine the scene. I don't know. Somebody has to prosecute. Uh, I can't remember the astronaut's name. He's my favorite one. The one who brought a corned beef sandwich into space. <laughs> this shit was on the Mercury. It was on the Mercury Three mission where they were testing uh, dehydrated food for the first time, and he's like, "Nah, that sounds terrible. I'm gonna pack a lunch." <laughs> I would imagine the trial being like everybody's floating, so the judge is like upside down, and then it's just as intense as a few good men. Everybody's just yelling at each other <laughs> over corned beef. There's a question down here. I don't know if you still had it. Yeah, I was uh, just wondering. Yeah, I think I, I think that's a that's a fair comparison, um, and that's that's sort of the the irony. As I was like learning international law and stuff, you, uh, like the guy in the back that's like, but what about nukes? And they're like, shut up, you! And, like, don't ask questions about those things. We haven't used those in like sixty years. And um, so yeah, I I think they talk about like Victor's justice and stuff. You you know whoever wins the war gets to write the laws. That's why you have like exceptions built for the nuclear bombs that we used. Um, I think the Empire would take a similar look at that sort of stuff. Like don't worry about that little super laser over there. We're going to build another one, but we'll use that one differently. We're not going to blow up any Alberons. Yeah, and I would say a real world uh, answer to that question is. Uh, George Lucas was, of course, heavily influenced by Kurosawa, uh, who did uh, a lot of samurai movies that influenced the design. Um, his movie, The Hidden Fortress, is basically a New Hope. Like, point. There's lines of dialogue lifted from that movie in A New Hope, but a lot of Japanese cinema, uh, in particular Godzilla, was a direct reaction to uh, nuclearization, but it also bled over into a lot of other things, particularly The, the Hidden Fortress. Ha! Didn't think I had that one in the chamber, did you, nerds? Uh, look, that's my film degree at work. That's right. Uh, do we have any other questions, or should we move on to trivia? I mean, I need you to stay on because some of it uh, I might need your expertise to, to for sure answer. Uh, the first one: uh, How old was Harrison Ford when he was born? Thirty-six. Yeah. 36 that's what I said. Uh, it's only forty-two now. <laughs> You, you win the Ghostbusters soundtrack. Yeah. Still shrink grabs. Uh, that my friend Brandon Scholl gave me one time. And I never listened to it. Alright, um, this is an easy one, I think. Uh, what kind of alien is Greedo? Rodian? Oh, nice. 
I just gave him Man of Steel on Blu-ray. Uh, I know you're you're more of a Star Wars boy, but uh, Man of Steel ends, Superman snaps Zod's neck. Uh, and that was a big point of contention because everyone's like, Superman doesn't kill people. Uh, my argument is that even though that movie's not bad, if you watch it, it's a justifiable moment. But is it, from a story standpoint, but legally, right, you got Zod mowing down buildings with his eyeball lasers. <laughs> What's a man to do? What's a Man of Steel to do? Zack Snyder's like... Guess again, bitch. <laughs> he kills people now. He kills people all the time, and now Batman just kills 20 people every five minutes for no reason. Like, here's a G3 assault rifle, I guess, now. Um, no, so I, what we call that is, like, the defense of another. And generally, the idea is that you can come to somebody else's aid, but you can't use more force than they could use to defend themselves. So there, if he's coming to the aid of, you know, the citizens there, Zod is busy, like, erasing people, you know, by the second. He's using deadly force. That would open the door for those people to use deadly force if they had the ability. So Superman can step in and do the same. I thought you were gonna say the opposite because you said they could only use as much force as they could use themselves. It's like, like regular people can't snap Zod's neck. Yeah, yeah but yeah. he's the Man of Steel. Right, but he's yeah. Superman, so he can and so should can. have. It's a bad movie, but I'll defend that. <laughs> point. Uh, and now, doubly so. Like, no, I have a lawyer, and he says, I'm right. Uh, all right. Somewhere Zack Snyder just popped up. Yes. <laughs> it's still a bad movie. I'm sorry I gave it. Zack Snyder's bad. That's all. All right. Um, one more trivia question, and the prize for that one is two tickets to the aforementioned show uh, that I talked about earlier. Here's blank from an interview, improviser, so if you're like, I wanna see this guy more in two days, you can. So, what is the name of Star Wars Space Chess? Space Wars Chess? Mm -hmm. mm. He, he said it, and I knew there was a name, and I didn't remember what it was. That's it. I was gonna check. Wow. Wow. It's like, for the first time, that question, my hand was like, I think my hand in my yeah, I knew I I knew it had a name, but it was one of those things where I'm like, because I'm a I'm a real life chess nerd too, and I'm like I can't I can't cross that line. I can't get as nerdy about chess and so, like I'm very nerdy about chess. I'm very nerdy about Star Wars. If I get that into Star Wars chess specifically, I think that's a line I'm not willing to cross. <laughs> so yes, when you said it, I was like, that's gonna be in my brain. All right, last chance uh, for questions. All right, well, thank you so much. Thomas Harper, resident director. All right. Well, then, you um, there we go. Uh, there was one other show that Addie asked me to uh, promote coming up here at Arts Quest. Uh, you guys will probably like this because you're nerds. It is a 60 minute uh, unauthorized Harry Potter weekend. So there's a, uh, there's a sketch show, April 28th. At 8 p.m. Is that the whole weekend? The one show? It's 60 minutes. That's not as long as weekends are. All right, uh, the 60 minute unauthorized Harry Potter. It's this weekend. It's supposed to say marathon. <laughs> That's also a traditionally long event. <laughs> I was thinking about ABC, Harry Potter marathon, Harry Potter weekend, but we're doing it 60 minutes. All right, 60 minute unauthorized Harry Potter hour. There, I fixed it. I fixed the show. Uh, and it's April 28th at 8. Uh, I, I know my friend John Longer is writing 
uh, extensively for that, and he's very worried about how it's going to go. So just go and tell John Longer you did a good job. He needs it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but thank you for coming. Uh, our next Nerd Night is with a third Thursday of every month, and because I obviously knew what that was, I'm just checking my phone for something else, and not to find out what the third Thursday in May is. I knew it was the 17th. We're back May 17th uh, with speakers Blair Thornburg, who works at uh, Quirk Books. If you guys ever heard of the book uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, or Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters, or a lot of other fun things. She works for the company that makes those, so she's going to talk about some geek literature. We also have Miguel Delmo coming up. Uh, he's a comedian. Uh, he's going to be talking about uh, his immigration experience and his podcast, which I believe is just called The Immigration Podcast. So you can check those out in advance. We'll be back May 17th. Thank you so much. Also, I'm going to look up who that astronaut is and do a nerd night talk about him. <laughs> sandwich because he's my favorite. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a